This is Sound and Vision from KEXP. Can't Stop, Won't Stop was a book that chronicled the early hip-hop scene. It was first released in 2005 by Jeff Chang. It has now been re-released with updates and a focus on a young adult audience, with writing contributions by Davey D. Cook. He's a syndicated radio DJ and an adjunct professor who teaches hip-hop, among other things, at San Francisco State University. KEXP's Gabriel Teodos caught up with Davey D. and Jeff Chang about the new edition and the power of hip-hop. Let's bring it back to the, the original version of Can't Stop, Won't Stop, a landmark book on the history of hip-hop culture, one of the best written at the time, in my opinion, came out in 2005, Jeff Chang penned it. What does, what does doing a new updated version of this book and what does a young adult edition even mean? This is not a dumbed down version of the first book. If we're talking about young adult, it may be more along the lines that some of the things that we reference will be more in line with a younger audience that would go, oh, I know who Meg the Stallion is, whereas I have people that might be 40 and over go, what the hell is he talking about? <laughs> um, yeah. it, you know, throughout the first book, there would have been more of a reference to Fat Five Freddy, you know, and Charlie Ahern and Grand Wizard Theodore. And if I walk into my classroom today and say those names, I would have a bunch of 20-year-olds go, who the hell are those guys, right? <laughs> right? And so you're talking about a culture that's 50 years old, damn near. And so here in the book, you know, of course we mention all these people and we give the backstory, but mm-hmm. we're also mindful that, you know, they'd be like, why should I read this? Oh, okay. Here's some of these other things that are that are important, including the updates, talking about the pandemic, talking about Black Lives Matter, bringing into the forefront the contributions of women, all that is, you know, very, very important. And so there's nothing wrong with retelling the story, giving it an updated contextualization. In the 90s, we would have said, oh, the South Bronx, man, you know, it blew up, but the conditions were very similar to how it was in 92 um, when the Rodney King uprising took place. That would make sense when Jeff wrote the book in 2004. In 2021, we might have to say, oh, the South Bronx was kind of the same conditions as you saw in Ferguson. That might make more sense to somebody today. That's what makes it a young adult edition. Man, one of one of the um, uh, hardest revelations, I would say, that came to light since the publishing of the first Can't Stop, Won't Stop, that was heavy on my mind, even in reading an updated version, was... Um, the allegations around Africa Bambata, for those that don't know, uh, you know, Bambata is known as the godfather of hip hop. There's, you know, a chapter early on in the book and he's mentioned throughout, you know, the story of hip hop. And the allegations are that, you know, from dozens of, 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 of young men, they were sexually abusing them. How do you wrestle with something like that with one of, you know, some someone that people call like the godfather of hip hop? I mean, you know, the book is... A book is always going to be a product of the time and what you know at the time. Right. Right. And sort of the currents that are happening as well. Um, You know, between the writing of this particular book in the early 2000s and now, so much has changed in hip hop. We know so much more um, about history and about individual um, people in hip hop. And 
it was difficult. We had, there was a little bit of a balancing act, you know, like recognizing that there's been a reckoning that's finally happened within hip hop because of Tarana, you know, Tarana Burke, um, a hip hop head, right? Who loves the culture is through and through, like will tell you she's a hip hop head, you know? At the same time, she is, has, you know, launched this revolution um, that has basically forced us to reconsider history. You know, we sort of, we were delicate. We kind of tread lightly around all those kinds of things. And we said to ourselves in each case, well, does what we know now, does that change what the, what they did? And the answer was always uh, yes and no. You know, Africa Bambata is the reason we have Zulu Nation, the first hip hop institution. He was central to the gang peace treaty. Um, he also had a lot of other things that was going on um, with him. And, you know, the truth is still, I think, coming out around that. And, you know, same with, you know, I worked for, for Russell Simmons and, you know, um, you know, did Russell like bring, you know, run DMC from like the street, you know, to the suburbs? Yes, he did. You know, did he form Def Jam? Yes, he did. You know, uh, and again, you know, in this particular instance, you know, a lot of things have come out. And so, you know, we have to balance all of that type of stuff. But, you know, you have to, our, our, I think our approach ultimately is you take, you have to take the good and you have to take the bad and you have to let it all out, lie out there. And um, the main thing that we have the the responsibility to do is, is to um, lift up the truth and lift up the stories that aren't told. Um, so, you know, we think that we tried to, that's what we tried to do um, delicately in this new edition. And, and you also have to remember that still a lot of people don't who know who Bambada is or even Russell. And one thing you don't want to do is you don't want to have their transgressions become the main story in hip hop because that's unfair for the thousands of millions of people that have, you know, done right by hip hop and really uplifted it. And so, you know, our approach is like, you know, BAM meant something to this culture for more than 40 years, right? Mm -hmm. um, there's no denying that. Just like James Brown meant something to soul and funk. And mm -hmm. you can put an asterisk next to his name and said he did drugs and he, you know, and he abused women. But at the same time, and when you're telling a story that is along that line, you can bring that up. But at the same time, you can't deny his contributions, <laughs> you mm -hmm. know, to a genre that we all enjoy. Same thing with Michael Jackson, same thing with a lot of other people. Then you get into the slippery slope of what you actually say as a definitive word, right? You know, Bam's been accused but not convicted. Russell's been accused but not convicted. And, you know, sure, in 2021, you know, being accused can, you know, that means, well, maybe I'm not going to mess with them no more, but you can't just go and print and be like, Bam yeah. is guilty, you know, because yeah. now, now you're dealing with a legal thing. So, so, so at the end of the day, it is that balance and, and also capturing the moment of what he met in 1978, mm -hmm. what he met in 1980 and his contribution. So we let people know about those accusations Mm -hmm. And we tell the truth. We're not fawning over him. We're not putting him on an extra pedestal. And I think the conversations around allegations are one that, you know, that people will have to have above and beyond the book. 
Right. You know, and, 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 it, and it deserves a much deeper analysis and process than I think we could fully address in a book where we're talking about so much. That's just the way it is. And I think as we get older and as we move on, there's going to be a lot of things in history that we're going to look at. I mean, now, you know, we talk about the slave owners who were the founding fathers. And mm -hmm. sure, we can talk about that. And that's an important conversation. But they also wrote the Bill of Rights and, <laughs> and all these other things. And you just don't say, well, I'm just going to act like they didn't do that because they did. Right. So it's going to be that balance with history always. Yeah, and I and I appreciated that that you um, that you did mention it and that you included the you know the piece about Toronto Burke and the Me Too movement and yeah, mm -hmm. I, I think I was I was happy to see that. Thank you for answering that question, man, Jeff. I remember we were uh, we were at one of many events that we've been been at together through the years. I don't <laughs> uh -huh. even, I don't even remember where it was, and you said a quote um, that I always think about. You said, uh, "Hip hop transforms every culture it touches." and gets transformed by every culture that touches it. Can you say more about that? And, you know, in writing this book and even in your experiences for both of y'all, like what are some of the most surprising ways you've seen hip hop transform culture globally? This is how um, black freedom culture moves people and, and that it moves from a place of opening up spaces for, for people to be able to kind of be in dialogue and that's the beauty and the power and the the strength that the, the the greatest story ever told is the story of black freedom culture so you know for for i think this particular kind of piece you know one of the things that we did was to to talk about the spread of hip-hop you know first from um, black communities in the bronx black red broadly you know african-american afro-caribbean afro-latinx um, all kinds of forms of blackness coming together in 1973, you know, in the Bronx, um, and how that spreads to other black neighborhoods across the country. And also recognizing that every, every neighborhood had its own thing. Like we talk about Philly and the dance that they had there, which was not at all like b-boying. Uh, stepping was much, much different. It was closer to, to maybe like tap dance or that kind of thing than it was to, to b-boying, um, to up rock and, uh, all those kinds of things and footwork and all that. So, you know, just recognizing all these different types of things kind of come together and then they uh, are are heard and, and absorbed by marginalized folks all around the world. So beginning with the Bronx and like kind of moving all the way on up to talking about like how people are hearing it in South Africa, how people are hearing it in Senegal, you know, how people are hearing hip-hop in South Korea, you know what I mean? How they're hearing it in China, how they're hearing it in Eastern Europe, right? That's part of the story. Um, and thinking about uh, how hip-hop sort of lifts up all of these types of movements there, like we talk about Brazil. For instance, Chuck D's influence, he goes to Brazil, and then suddenly there's this flowering of Black nationalism among young people and this, you know, beautiful kind of, uh, cultural output that comes from it. So that's all part of it. And it's it's something that we wanted to make sure that we, we kind of captured and talked about as a way of talking about what goes from the source to, you know, to the to the uh, to the ocean. I like to say hip hop is open source code, you know, <laughs> that, 
you know, you can take your thing and add it to this platform mm -hmm. and you can really see yourself in it. And, you know, from your background and, and see that in different mm -hmm. places, the hip hop in the Bronx, it may be very different than the hip hop in somewhere, in somewhere else, it, but it's still the same type of, you know, yearning to make a way out of no way. It's a yearning to change your immediate condition. It's your way of healing. And ultimately, you know, a lot of times your way of reaffirming a world that wants to strip you of that identity, it allows you to, to, to reconnect. Man, so beautifully said, Davey. I love that. It reminds me of a quote in here where you talked about hip hop not being a vacuum, you know, which is so real and not belonging to any one person. Um, I have another another memory of uh, being in a room with with you, Davey. Uh, this is uh, one of those times I sat in at your class at SF State University, and there was a, a really cool conversation that happened that day. I believe you were asking your students what hip hop meant to them. And you said that uh, at the end of it, you said hip hop, if, I, if I'm quoting you correctly, you said something along the lines of hip hop is about building community. If it's about anything else, I don't know what it is. And that's something that you said that always stuck with me. I wanted to ask you guys something about building solidarity across uh, cultures, uh, even even just as the two of y'all, as you know, uh, a black person and an Asian person writing this book in this time where you know there's always been anti-black hate crimes happening in this country, and now there's a, a spike in anti-Asian hate crimes. Mm -hmm. um, what can hip hop teach people about building solidarity? like real true solidarity across communities? Mm -hmm. You know what? This is the biggest question, man. And it's, and you know, it, of course it would be to ask us this because you've been so deeply involved in community and, and communities and recognizing, you know, sort of the bridges that, that folks need to be built. Like, you know, the, the thing about this particular um, book and this history and, and why like we're both so passionate about it is, you know, this is the hidden history of America. Hip hop has that sort of hidden transcript, you know, is what some folks call it of, of what really went on, you know, what didn't end up on the front page. Um, but the kind of undercurrents that like actually shaped, you know, the sort of tremors and quakes that like really shaped the kind of landscape that we're on living on today. And we talk, uh, I think, you know, pretty truthfully did in the first book and do it again here about, you know, the uprisings in Los Angeles and, you know, and the, the whole kind of way in which hip hop reflected all of the different types of things that were going on at that particular point and the media narratives that we had to combat um, about that were trying to divide us and the kind of histories um, that were not being talked about in that particular moment, you know, and it still does. I think, you know, at this particular point, I've been taking a lot of comfort and a lot of humility from, you know, people showing up for me as somebody who's of Chinese and native Hawaiian descent. Dave's always been that person for me. Um, and part of what we, I think, represent out there is, are these, you know, sort of deep friendships and currents of relations that that folks have had uh, everywhere, everywhere that there's 
um, blacks and Asians, you know, living together, right? So really truthfully for Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders, like recognizing how the black freedom struggle has made the door open to us, right? The, 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 the birthright citizenship wouldn't have been a thing without the 14th Amendment. And our immigration after 1965 would not have been possible without the rise of the civil rights movement and black power. Um, so, you know, that's something that I try to reaffirm. And in our dialogues that Dave and I have all the time, like right now, it's just sort of about making making that like accessible and transparent to to people. Um, and it's always easy to tear down, but we're we're so about building things up. So, thank you for asking that question. I know I got, Dave has a lot to say too. You know, let's go back to the point I said about building community. Mm-hmm. So you have to look at what these expressions, these dance expressions, this music expressions, these oral traditions, what this really means. In Western society, in the United States, they're commodified. So if you, Gab, you know, Gabriel, decide that, you know, you suffered uh, untimely death, you may, because of your background, decide that you're going to wail, right? Let me go and just wail. Mm-hmm. I come along in the capitalistic society and record that and then make that into something that we can buy and sell. And we come along and go, wow, Gabe, this is really great. The way that you're wailing, can you do this some more? Mm. Well, wait a second. You were crying because something tragic happened. This was your way of coping. And our response to it should be, Let's build community around you, uplift you, and help you get out of this point of pain, right? But, but, but for many people, I like to see this. You know, this is entertaining. Jeff, come along. Gabe is crying. Let's watch this, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And so what gets lost or what we're challenged with are Black expression, Indigenous expression, People who intuitively can see themselves because they have similar types of expressions and understand that singing and dancing is is not a commodity, but a way in which community comes together and does so much more. They communicate, they, 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 they use it as a way to worship, all these different things, right? That's why it becomes popular because people go, oh, we do something similar where I'm from, right? Mm-hmm. So the community that we bring when we start to do these expressions, you know, we call them ciphers, right? You know, everybody's dancing. Every it, it, To understand it best, you got to understand these expressions are participatory, inclusive things. So if I dance, everybody's dancing. If I go to church and I sing, it don't be like Dave gets to sing. You get a little bit for a minute, right? But, you know, after that fourth bar, we all singing, right? Every last one of us, you don't get to do this. We all get to sing to God. You know, if you're dancing, you seen it, go ahead and start dancing. You know, that's cool. All right, Gabe, that's good. You know what? We all starting to dance now. We all getting into that cypher. Mm-hmm. It's an inclusive thing. And the energy that you get from that creates a whole other vibration, right? We feel each other. We just don't hear each other and it becomes mm-hmm. magical. And then we all lock in and it's something else. This is no different than when a band locks in. It's mm-hmm. no different than when a choir locks in. Mm-hmm. I say, go to a black church and see it on a Sunday, mm-hmm. right? Somebody's singing, we're all clapping our feet, and then you will see the whole church sway back and forth, right? 
that's hip hop mm-hmm. in many ways at its finest. Now, the reason why I say this is because people will take this and extract different parts of it, commodify it, and remove it from its overall context. And so you're seeing certain things and you're going, this is a good rap. Yeah, but you also have to see the dance with it and the DJ that played the percussion, you know, breakdown to to really get it. And and so part of this is to give people that history so mm-hmm. that they can understand it. But it's also to, you know, this comes to the larger point to your question is that when you're in that space, then we look at each other and then we become family. That's why people say hip hop saved my life. That's why you go to different places and you're like, with the hip hop folks? Because we see each other. So in that type of environment, then yeah, we lock in. You know, it, it's like, well, let me call my peoples. These are my peoples. These ain't these ain't some Asian folks. Right. These, these are my folks. Like, mm-hmm. yo, man, are you okay? You know, if you need help, I need help. Now, where we may fall short is when I take on Western values and constructs into this and, you know, and I'm like seeing you as a commodity and not as a friend, a brother, or, you know, and uh, of somebody that has, that I have a much deeper relationship. And that goes on either side of that thing. Mm-hmm. If you're just jumping in and going, I like the dance, but I don't want to deal with the pain that caused the dance. You're n- you're just as exploitive as the commercial industry that was exploiting people that gave rise to hip hop in the first place. So we got to kind of be aware of what is the commercial manifestations that have infiltrated our day-to-day lives that we have adopted knowingly and unknowingly versus the organic and very healing and very empowering ethos that hip hop really you know, I don't think people had a word for it. They just kind of knew, like, this is something that I need in my life and I'm going to continue to do it. So to really be hip hop, your pain is something that I want to help you get over, not something that I want to kind of use as, you know, a weapon or something I want to use as a form of entertainment. Mm-hmm. And I hate to say it uh, with the with the Asian attacks. This is a form of entertainment for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. This is a ratings booster for a lot of corporations. That's right. Because if they really cared about the harm that's being inflicted on Asians, Asian elders, or just elders in general, you're in Seattle, right? Mm -hmm. How many homeless Asians do you see out in the streets right now? Right? Do you see Mm -hmm. them? Because I see them right here in Oakland. Mm -hmm. And some of the same people that will have a press conference and go, we must stop the violence on these elders are the same people that didn't do policy to make sure that they're off the streets in the first place. Mm. You know, many of the people that are being attacked are poor and mm. impoverished and mm. probably have two pennies to their name. So, you know, the news media, this is a ratings booster yeah. because if they're really about transforming society, they would have been like, Hey, let's go back and look at that city council person or that mayor that took away funds from these homeless folks, many of who are elders, you know, quite a bit of them in certain cities, LA, the Bay and Seattle, who are Asian. You know, that's, in in my opinion, even more violent than some of these attacks that they're showing day in and day out. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't want to put the mayors of our respective cities on blast for their lack of compassion when violence is showing up in political ways. Mm -hmm. So 
hip hop got to be bigger than that. And it's got to be better than that. And I think many of the people from Jeff and the work he's doing too, I could shout out a whole bunch of people, you know, from Michelle Lee and Mush and, you know, Connie Wu, and we can go on and on. Um, you see, you know, even Mr. Fab and China Mac mm. are, have all stepped up in a hip hop ethos to try and, you know, reaffirm relationships and do better mm -hmm. than the people that are actually reporting on this and professing to care when they didn't care all these years until ratings were down and they needed a boost. Mm. Mm -hmm. Say that. Thank you so much, man. I feel like I could talk to both of y'all all day long. Um, <laughs> appreciate you both so much, man. Thank you for making time. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. That was KEXP's Gabriel Teodro speaking with Davey D. Cook and Jeff Chang, authors of a new edition of the book that was first released in 2005 called Can't Stop, Won't Stop. And that was Sound and Vision. Please take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It helps let other people know that this podcast exists in this very oversaturated podcast world out there. So do your part and subscribe rate and review this podcast. You can also go the extra mile to help financially support the show by giving a one-time $20 donation at kexp.org slash sound. Thanks for listening.